How's it going, Longhorn Nation? Welcome to Texas Talk, your one-stop shop for everything involving Texas Longhorns football. I'm your host, Ryan McLoon, and I'm joined, as always, by my awesome co-host, Michael Farber. We are recording on Thursday, February 2nd, and today we are just going to be talking about some of the 2023 recruits that are still uncommitted um, and unsigned um, that Texas is, is still kind of in on. And also, we're going to go through the 2023 football schedule that was released. Before we get into it, though, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you're listening. Also, tell your friends and family about us. After that, make sure to check out our website, texas-talk.com. On the website, you'll be able to find the Longhorns' updated roster, depth chart, the 2023 class, transfer portal additions and departures, any trending news, plus our analysis on the team. So be sure to check that out. With all that said, Michael, I would ask you how your weekend was <laughs> normally, but we're already almost a full week behind. So how was your week? Um, I have a feeling it was nice to decompress from uh, last weekend. Yeah, last weekend, I, it was a good weekend still, but uh, yeah, the game didn't go the way I wanted it to, unfortunately, uh, with the mm-hmm. Bengals and the Chiefs. Um, but you know, I, I try to look at the bright side of things. We, we didn't play well at all on offense and, uh, we still had a chance mm-hmm. to win it there at the end. So, uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited for the future. Uh, obviously the goal was Super Bowl, but, uh, you know, we made it to the game before. So, um, next year, I, I think we'll have a good shot and we might be, uh, one of those in the top two or three, uh, odds favorites to win the Super Bowl or make the Super Bowl. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but, uh, yeah, overall good weekend. Um, and good early part of the week. Uh, how about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a good weekend for me. Obviously, I, I put a future on the 49ers and the Bengals, and I lost them both. <laughs> um, so bad weekend for me in that aspect as well. Um, I don't even know who I'm going to pick uh, for the Super Bowl. I think I'm just going to have to – whoever I am inclined to pick, I might just fade myself, and I might just go the other way, which is – also going to lead me to crash and burn. So um, I'll keep you updated on that. Um, But yeah, I mean, Cincinnati just really, really got screwed by the refs this weekend. (laughs) Um, I don't know how active you are on Twitter as opposed to, you know, fighting with people um, about the refs or, or anything like that. But I see a ton of Bengals fans just, just, posting pictures and videos of blatant flags that weren't thrown or, or whatever you want to say um, about Kansas city chiefs, just kind of being gifted um, that win and, you know, NFL rigged is uh, <laughs> is trending on Twitter for the past week. So Cincinnati Bengals uh, have a very strong fan base and I think they, I think they deserve uh, you guys just deserve to uh, let out all of your frustration. <laughs> Yeah, the 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 one call that that really kind of pissed me off was the redo of third down. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, we still got they still punted um, a, a couple a few plays later, but uh, yeah, if they would have gone down and scored on that drive after that, I, I would been I've been pretty heated at that point. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, overall, no no blood drawn, so it, it wasn't too bad. Uh, but other than yeah. that, you know, it it there's missed calls every game, so you can't really blame it too much on that just kind of played poorly offensively and, and that kind of bit us there at the end. 
Yeah, see, you're being really sensible right now. I think if we would have got you on a Monday or a Tuesday, oh, yeah. it might have been a little bit more riled up. So yes. I kind of wish that we did record early just, just to get a riled up mic uh, for, the, for the show. But to tie it into Texas a little bit, man, Joseph Osai with uh, a terrible, terrible flag to uh, – yeah. I'm not going to say he lost the game because, you know, the game is played more than just that one play but um obviously it was kind of a nail in the coffin situation there where he pushes Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes was almost outside of that big white line on the sideline so he was he was a, a couple feet out of bounds there and Joseph Osai pushes him anyways um obviously that's just you're going 100 miles per hour as Texas fans we know that Osai is always going 100 miles an hour yeah, because yeah. his motor runs so hot um I, it's hard to really blame him. I'm a huge OSI fan, obviously, but even if you're, even if you're kind of indifferent, just to be in the player's perspective, like you're told to go fast and 100 miles per hour every second of every play, and then you know sometimes this is the situation where it kind of backfires on you. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I mean, he, you know, I feel really, really bad for him too because that that second half he kind of dominated the game there on the defensive mm-hmm. line he he was everywhere um getting to Patrick Mahomes several times um creating pressure as well so um you know it was really really frustrating <laughs> to see the penalty flag come out obviously he was out of bounds so I, I'm not going to argue that one but mm-hmm. uh yeah it was I just felt really bad for him and especially seeing you know the interview after the game in the locker room and and uh him just sitting on the sideline crying you know I, I could only imagine uh, you know, what kind of pain he's in after, you know, he, he balled out basically that game. So um, I, I'm excited for him to come back next year, though. I, I feel like he's going to have a bigger role. Um, and I, I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with here for the next uh, few years in Cincinnati. All right. Uh, let's get into a little bit of some guys that Texas is still going after hard. Um, first, let's start with Warren Roberson. Um, currently committed to TCU. He's a safety um, what are your thoughts here on Warren Roberson, whose signing was delayed due to the ice storm um, in Texas? He was supposed to sign on National Signing Day on Wednesday. It's now Thursday night, and he still is unsigned. Um, it could go into Friday, or it might continue to be delayed depending on the weather. Yeah, I, I think the last thing I saw was potentially Friday. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know the time frame they have, I know with early signing period, you have Wednesday through Friday or Saturday, I believe. Um, but yeah, current, currently committed to TCU. Um, all signs are pointing. He's going to flip to Texas, kind of a late push by us, but another good pickup. And especially in the secondary where we kind of need that depth a little bit more. Um, but again, he's another bigger body um, DB at six foot one ninety. Um, that kind of fits that mold that um, Steve Sarkeesian and, and uh, PK are looking for back there. So, um, be, would be a great addition to the team, and, and from all accounts and all signs, it's it's looking like he's going to be uh, joining uh, Texas here in the summer. Yeah, and you know, all all kind of uh, signing class long, I've been talking about how Texas doesn't really have a whole lot of DBs now. This uh, class actually has come together, and we got quite a few. Um, obviously, some superstars in Malik Muhammad and Derek Williams, but. In the transfer portal, also picking up Jalen Catalan and Gavin Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
late we picked up Jelani McDonald, um, who's a linebacker slash safety. And now finally Warren Roberson, we're going to be completely in on as well. And like you said, all signs are pointing to Texas. Steve Wiltfong from 24-7 Sports, their head of uh, recruiting, he has crystal balled them to Texas. Mike Roach also of 24-7 has crystal balled him to Texas. So it looks really good for the Longhorns here. That's five DBs in this class now, which is a really, really good number, especially with, you know, obviously there's five um, spots in the secondary most of the time. So really good to have big classes in that area, similar to the offensive line position. So awesome to see this class kind of get, uh, you know, wrapped up. Yeah. And, and like you said, you know, a, a couple months ago we were, or maybe two or three months ago, we were sitting here wondering how is this going to play out? Because we only mm-hmm. had two at the time uh, with Malik Muhammad and he was, there were rumors that he may try to flip or go somewhere else and uh, Derek Williams as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, th- this class is filled out very, very well. Um, and, and I'm really, really happy with the way it's turned out. Uh, especially adding, like you said, Jelani McDonald to it, uh, Jalen Catalan as well, and Gavin Holmes, and potentially, uh, you know, Warren Roberson here. Um, but yeah, th- this is a class that went from worrisome to it- it's okay now. You know, we we have it yeah. figured out. We have the numbers that we're happy with. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see when he signs. But when he does, I I think it's going to be with the with Texas. Yeah, absolutely. And just to mention, Warren Roberson is from Red Oak, Texas. Um, and USC is also in the mix a little bit. So when a team that is also a blue blood, like USC is in the mix, it's always a little sketchy because you know, they have the money and the boosters and the NIL um, values to be able to throw a bag at Roberson at any given time to give him a flip in this new NIL era. So although we feel really good about Texas at the time and all 24 seven sports lead experts, feel good about Texas, there's always a chance for, um, you know, a, a shocker on yeah. actual signing day. Yeah. Um, now, another name who Texas is really after right now, who most likely is waiting for the MLB draft to make his decision, is Deuce Robinson, the number one tight end in the class and uh, a top 25 player um, overall. So talk a little bit. I hear about Deuce Robinson. Yeah, um, I, I he's a fantastic player, big time athlete um, at the tight end position. You know, one we talked about that could play that kind of Jatavion Sanders role um, once he does mm-hmm. end up leaving for the NFL. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of feeling like he's going to enter the draft uh, for for the Major League Baseball draft. Um, mm-hmm. I, I saw something the other day that he's rated as a top ten pick in the draft. If that's the case, I, I don't see a chance that he plays college football um, because once you get in that kind of top 10 range, there's not really a point to go play college baseball um, mm-hmm. because it can't really help you that much. You know, the the right. risk and reward it, isn't comparable there. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he declares for the draft. Um, but if he doesn't, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's Georgia there uh, with him. Um, but, yeah, for, for me, I, I think he's going to hit the draft and uh, go play professional baseball. Yeah, absolutely. And you're saying he's projected to be about a top 10 pick. Um, Draft slots are really expensive and money matters. Even in an NIL era, 
getting drafted in the top 10 is still going to net him um, roughly over, I think, $7 million um, in a signing bonus. So that is a lot more than you're going to make as a tight end, even in a program like Texas or USC or Georgia. Those are really good NIL programs, but you're still going to make way more in baseball uh, if you get picked there. So I think he's kind of waiting out there. Once the MLB draft happens, he'll know how much he's worth. And unlike other sports, if you get drafted in the top 10, you could choose to go play um, college football, college baseball. Um, Like you said, some people do it to, you know, um, get better, hone their craft, and then get drafted earlier the next year or years uh, after. But in this case, maybe Deuce Robinson doesn't like the the baseball money um maybe he gets drafted in the second or third round and that money just isn't as good so he decides to play baseball in college to play football in college and kind of um you know play it by ear that way while still making money um in the nil era yeah and you know the mlb drafts in july so you know he's kind of got to make a decision before then um Mm -hmm. just to get enrolled in those summer classes and get ready for the season. Um, I, I just feel like he's throwing his name out. He's throwing feelers out there to see, you know, what scouts around the, uh, around baseball are thinking. Um, Cause you know, that that's kind of what college basketball and college football players do. They'll, they'll throw the name in the ring. They'll get a grade back and then decide if they want to come back to school or not. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's what he's doing just to try to see how secure the draft is, um, you know, on, on three, they, they have his NIL evaluation at 199,000. Um, that's a lot of money. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, but like you said, um, top 10 pick in the draft, you're looking at several, several, several millions of dollars um, just as soon as you sign. So, um, you know, that is a lot of NIL money, but draft money, like you said, is, is a lot more than that. Um, so uh, he's going to have to make a decision soon. Um, probably, right before summer starts. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Again, I, I think he's going to hit the draft just because that's guaranteed money there. Um, but but who knows? Maybe maybe he has a change of heart and wants to play football instead. Yeah, and you threw out that $200,000 um, mark, one ninety nine to be exact. That would be uh, equivalent to, to the 225th pick of the <laughs> draft, which is the seventh round. Um, so... Yeah, I feel like that's kind of I'm, – I'm sure Deuce Robinson is dealing with a lot of numbers being thrown around in yep. his head right now. I'm sure Texas, Georgia, um, USC are all kind of throwing him how much money he'll make in their programs. And he's also getting, you know, what his draft slot might be and, and the, the uh, valuations of that draft slot. So – yeah, I, I'm sure for him, this is going to be one of the toughest decisions he could possibly make. Um, and even after all that, um, it still seems like Georgia is the heavy, heavy favorite here. Yep, um, yep. Even though Texas has a much better baseball program than Georgia, um, Georgia just has done such a great job with their tight ends the past few years. Um, it's really tough to beat that, especially – if um, Georgia's offensive coordinator, uh, Todd Munkin, is that right? Todd Munkin uh, right. comes back. Yeah, right. It sounds right. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is. It is. 
So especially if a guy like Todd Munkin comes back um, to Georgia, I think that would be that would be huge for Deuce Robinson's commitment as well. So Texas is definitely behind the eight ball in a few different ways. But um, I think what really helps them is how good Texas baseball program actually is. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's kind of one of the big selling points. Um, but but I kind of feel like if he if he does choose going to college over the over the draft, it's going to be more because of football. Uh, like mm-hmm. I, like I said, the risk reward to go play college basketball or college baseball and, and raise your draft stock. If he's already a top 10 pick, you know, that it can't get much better. There's a lot more risk there than reward. Um, so yeah, I, I would think it would be for football and, you know, the top of the football world right now is Georgia. Uh, you know, they have, mm-hmm. like you said, they're tied in position with Brock Bowers, even Darnell Washington, who, um, wasn't their tied in number one. He he's projected to potentially be a first round draft pick. Um, so if you can have a backup tight end, um, being projected to possibly go in the first round, um, why, why wouldn't you want to go play for that team? And, and that's kind of what Georgia has done. They, they kind of followed the Alabama mold of just pumping players into the NFL. Um, and, and that's enticing to, to high school kids, uh, especially, you know, ones that their dream is to go to the NFL. So, uh, yeah, if he does choose to, to go to college, I think it's going to be Georgia. And I think he's going to be a phenomenal player there. Um, I don't. I don't know if he's going to be Brock Bowers good, but he's going to be a really, really good uh, player in in college. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it's tough to see because I really want Texas to have two <laughs> incredible tight ends. Tavian Sanders is already really good. Having somebody next him, next to him, who can be more of a field stretcher. Um, get Jatavian Sanders in line a little bit more, which just causes problems because then teams have to line up a linebacker against Sanders for most of the time. If there's two tight ends in there, um, just a whole lot of problems for defenses. If you can get two elite athletes at the tight end position, um, that brings me to my next prospect that I wanted to talk about is Nicholas Harbor. Um, he's a guy from the DMV area. Um, he actually committed on signing day to South Carolina, but, it was really heavily rumored that he was going to go to Oregon. Um, full disclosure, we were going to record this before National Signing Day, and then we opted to wait um, for after National Signing Day. So we had a little bit more answers on a guy like Warren Ro- Roberson. But um, obviously, we talked about that already. His signing got delayed, so it was all for naught anyways. <laughs> but back on track here. Nicholas Harbor was rumored to go to Oregon, and they were in – contention because of how good their track team is um nicholas harbour six foot five 225 pounds and could legitimately compete in the olympics in two years if he trains correctly and develops a little bit he runs a 10-2 in the 100 meters for reference brendan thompson for texas runs a 10-2 in the 100 meters brendan thompson is five foot 11 like 160 pounds (laughs) so Nicholas Arbor is five inches and almost 60 pounds and more than 60 pounds on Brennan Thompson and they're running about the same speed. So an absolute freak of an athlete. Um, He's listed as an athlete on 24 seven sports. He's probably going to be a tight end or a uh, maybe even a wide receiver. South Carolina is rumored to be moving him to, but this is a guy, Texas has such an elite track um track and field team 
I'm shocked that Texas didn't go in on Nicholas Harbor a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, when you think about athletic, this this is the epitome of athletic. Uh, if you can run that fast at six five two twenty five, I, I that that's insane. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that's insane speed. And I, I just scrolled down his profile here on 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 three, um, and, and they come their um, what's it called? Their comparison uh, is DK Metcalf, and and I love that comparison. That's uh, exactly who I was going to compare him to, and I'm not on on three. I'm on <laughs> sports right now, so nice. But but I mean he is a monster, stupid fast, stupid um, athletic ability can jump anybody, um, and you know he can go up and get the ball as well. So yeah, I, I would have liked to see us push a little bit harder for him. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking that we just got in a little bit too late um, mm-hmm. to the process, and and that's why. But yeah, if we were able to get a an extreme athlete like him on campus, that would be huge. And, and like you said, that could be another. Deuce Robinson slat type of build that could be uh, playing tight end or even moved out to wide receiver. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that would be a really, really fun player to see it in our offense. Um, but unfortunately he's headed to South Carolina and, and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see his name go pretty high in the draft here in a few years. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's less so about them being in early on him more so that they couldn't make a push at all with how elite their track unit is. Um, even after being late in the process, but yeah. by all accounts, um, that's kind of what Oregon did, um, is why I kind of compare it with Texas, but obviously he picked South Carolina at the end, South Carolina, by all accounts had the much better, um, you know, relationship as just personal relationship with Nicholas Harbor. So Shane Beamer is doing an incredible job there. Um, and South Carolina is going to turn into a pretty frisky team in the sec which you know we'll be seeing a lot of them um yep yep in the next few years so shane beamer is doing a really really good job with the south carolina team that looked absolutely dreadful just (laughs) four years ago so um really really impressive stuff by south carolina there but yeah i just wanted to give a shout out to nicholas harbour just because of what a freak athlete he is (laughs) again it's the off season so I just want to daydream a little bit about, about what Texas could look like um, with all of these players like Deuce Robinson and Nicholas Harbor being <laughs> alongside the playmakers. Yeah. And, and like, if you want to compare it to something, this is a guy who, if you're playing NCAA football, you know, you spend all your recruiting points on to make sure you get him on campus. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> this, this would be a really fun player to play on a video game, play with on a video yeah. game. But uh uh, yeah, South, South Carolina got a really good one. And like you said, Frank, or uh, not Frank Beamer, uh, Shane Beamer uh, is doing a really good job there at, uh, at South Carolina. And, you know, they're, they're going to start to, especially with the way Clemson looked um, last year and, and even a little bit this year, you know, they may start to recruit a little better in the Carolinas and even in the Georgia, Florida states as well. So uh, look out for South Carolina here in the near future. Absolutely. And you brought up NCAA. When NCAA 2024 comes out, I think I'm just going to have to uh, poach Nicholas Harbour. Just, I don't know how it's going to work. But tamper a little bit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'll tamper the heck out of uh, Nicholas Harbour, get him on campus. He's going to be a guy who just runs, um, you know, straight vertical routes, go routes every <laughs> single play. He's going to end every game with 330 yards and four touchdowns. Um, I can envision it all now. It's going to be awesome. So, 
Um, but yeah, besides those those two names in Warren Roberson and Deuce Robinson, it seems like this Texas class is just about wrapped up. Um, the the early uh, signing day really just took the uh, took the air out of National Signing Day first Wednesday of February. So it's a completely different uh, different feel than it was uh, you know a few years ago. Yeah, I completely agree in it and I'm I love it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I uh I, I like it better for the football program, uh, to be honest, because those guys signing early are are a lot of them like to early enroll as well. Um uh, so you get them on yeah. campus a little bit earlier, get them in the program, get them uh build up a little bit of muscle in the strength and conditioning program before uh hitting, you know, spring ball and all that. Um and the guys in the summer, you know, we, we talked about it with uh Kelvin Banks and and um uh Devin, DJ yeah, DJ Campbell. Um, yep. You know they they came in in the summer, and you know we were kind of worried if they were going to get playing time. Kelvin Banks was just such a monster that he had to play right away. But Devon or DJ Campbell kind of didn't get there. Um, I, I think he's going to get there this season, though. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he has a starting role on the offensive line. But yeah, having having these guys come in early um, and, and go through winter conditioning is huge, huge for their development. Um, so I, I absolutely love early signing day and, you know, it gives me a reason to, to, uh, watch a little more TV and keep track of recruiting. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one good thing about early signing day is if you have an established coach and, you know, a pretty solid coaching staff in general, um, it's awesome for you, but man, if you're going through a coaching transition, that first year is so tough. Like even look at, we talked about Dion in Colorado. They didn't even really have a huge um, early signing day because it's just so tough to get people on campus. And Dion yeah. is a guy who, um, you know, it's always cameras are always on Dion. So mm-hmm. imagine like a normal, you know, kind of program and head coach, how difficult it is to kind of wrangle up a good recruiting class. So um obviously early signing day kind of hurts that but hopefully texas doesn't really have that problem for um you know the next 15 or so years and steve <laughs> can retire a seven-time national champion and yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> um one 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 time uh one game at a time though let's let's get a big 12 championship first yeah, yeah absolutely um, so okay speaking of big 12 championships let's see how texas can get there this year um the 2023 uh schedule is out um just one note i had really quick before i list off all the uh all the games kansas state had an incredible schedule release video i don't know if you saw this i i did not i'll have to go back and oh, watch it gosh yeah i'll send it to you um after the podcast but um, what they did is they took clips from every um, from just a bunch of movies, um, classic movies, and just made kind of pieced it together um, with their opponents. So uh, the Baylor video, they had um, Anchorman of I think his name is Brick Brick riding that that grizzly bear. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. So they did things like that throughout their entire schedule. I won't go on about it, but. Absolutely incredible. Um, K-State social media team. I was not familiar with your game, but <laughs> respect to that. Um, Texas's media team, 
really disappointing. They just retweeted the Big 12. <laughs> they, no schedule release video, no creativity at all. I was looking and I just saw that they retweeted it. I'm like, come on, are you serious? I didn't think I saw anything, but man, that was so disappointing. So, um, But the rest of that social media team is absolutely nails it, Texas, because they've been giving uh, King Joseph Edwards a uh, 2024 edge. Um, they've been giving him a new edit seemingly every single day for the past week. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, but he just keeps posting edits um of himself at texas on his uh junior day visit uh, a couple weeks ago so shout out to the social media team for that but man you got to do better with that schedule of release because uh that was that was just sad <laughs> um all right let's get into the schedule um i'm just gonna list off the names and then i'll kind of throw it to you for your kind of general thoughts um first game rice is at home Alabama is away. Wyoming is at home. Baylor is away. Kansas is at home. Oklahoma, obviously, um, in Dallas, but it's technically an away game this year. Then we have the bye week. Um, then we have Houston away. BYU at home. Kansas State at home. TCU away. Iowa State away. Texas Tech at home to end the year that Friday. Um, your thoughts on this schedule kind of in general? Yeah, I, I didn't think it was too bad. Um, you know, I, I was thinking that we might get screwed by the Big 12 just because it's potentially our, our last season uh, in the Big 12. But, you know, it, it's not too bad, actually. Um, only playing two of the new teams with, with Houston and BYU um, going to Houston, which, you know, isn't too far of a road game. And then um, mm -hmm. I, I really did expect us to have to go to play at BYU. Um, so having them at home is a, is a big bonus in my opinion. Um, oh, yeah. But, but looking at the schedule, man, it, it's, it's pretty favorable. Uh, the toughest road game we probably go play in conference at least is at TCU. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we don't really know what they're going to be next year. You know, they, they went to the national championship game, so they're a really good team, obviously, but they lost. They're losing a ton of production. Um, yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how they come out and play and, and you know, if they can do that again um, this year. And then, you know, other than that, we, we play a lot of Big 12 opponents at home. Uh, and, you know, we played at home really, really well last year. So um, I, I don't hate this schedule at all. Um, I, I think those first three weeks is – is really going to show us what this team is made of. Obviously going to Alabama is a big game, but, but like you said, we don't even know who uh, their starting quarterback is. Uh, I think we talked right. about that before the podcast started, but you know, it, that could be a winnable game um, because we saw Jalen Milrow play last year against A&M and, and he looked absolutely terrible. Um, so yeah. if he is their starter, I feel really, really comfortable going into that game. Um, if, if it is one of their other five stars back there, you know, we'll have to see how they play uh, in game one. But overall, I, I think there's a really winnable schedule and, and I could easily see us um, finishing this out with one or two losses uh, if we see progression uh, with Quinn Ewers. Absolutely. Um, I think the biggest takeaway I have is Texas is leaving the state of Texas two times this entire schedule. Um, first is obviously going to Alabama in week two. And then finally, the second to last week, they go to Ames, Iowa for the Iowa State game. 
after that, the road games are TCU, Houston, and Baylor. And um, obviously, I mentioned Oklahoma. So just an absolutely great schedule for Texas Midwest-wise. You know, this is going to be awesome, awesome for them. I kind of want to see – you know how sometimes they'll they'll have a chart for NFL playoff games. They might do it in college too, but this team has traveled fifteen thousand or fifteen hundred miles in the past two weeks. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Texas is going to travel like less than nine hundred miles in the entire season. Um, it's going to be absolutely awesome for them. <laughs> yeah. um, another thing I love, which you kind of mentioned, is Alabama being. Um, right between the Rice and Wyoming games. We should be able to out-talent Rice and Wyoming um, without any kind of, you know, schematic or, mm-hmm. or really without any worries. Um, obviously, they're still pretty good programs, so you can't sleepwalk through them, but um, you can kind of use Rice as a tune-up game. Make sure Ewers, A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, Jatavion Sanders, they're all kind of on the same page. I'd like to see um Sark kind of air the ball out a little bit against Rice early on just so everybody kind of gets on the same page and gets kind of uh you know shakes the rust off for that road Alabama game but yeah Texas will be dogs for that road Alabama game I don't think there's any denying that but I don't think it's like last year where um we're kind of penciling or almost writing in pen that that's going to be a loss. I think last year showed that Texas can hang with Alabama and you said it, Alabama doesn't even really have a starting quarterback right now, whether it's Milrow um, who would provide a little bit of a challenge for Texas because of his running ability and how Texas kind of struggled with quarterbacks like that Um, pops in my mind, Donovan Smith at the Texas tech game last year. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That was that was brutal, but even if it's Milroy, not Milroy, uh, if it's Ty Simpson, their other five-star quarterback who's in that room, whoever it is, Alabama is going to be starting somebody new without much um, starting experience. So Texas could be able to take advantage of that um, early on, which would be, you know, a great huge win for Steve Sarkeesian um, in his third year at Texas. Um, other than that, I think it's a I think it's a really good schedule for Texas. I don't think they really got screwed at all, which a lot of Texas fans kind of thought they would um, heading into this schedule release. Like you said, we kind of thought that BYU might be a road game, but being a home game is, you know, awesome, awesome for Texas. And Houston being on the road um, is great for Texas too, because obviously that's just right up the road. It's, it's, it's no big deal at all. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> the one thing I'm not looking forward to with that BYU game is the week leading up to, I know we're going to see a lot of uh, Taysom Hill highlights about how he torched Texas in back-to-back years, uh, <laughs> whatever that was. But, uh, yeah, other than that, BYU, they're a really good team, but going uh, to Utah to play them would be really, really tough. Having them at home, like I said, is, is not as scary. <laughs> you know, uh, the one mm. thing that, you know, I would have changed is maybe throwing West Virginia in there instead of one of these two new teams, just to give us a little more of a cupcake game. But yeah, uh, <laughs> but but <laughs> but I mean, those are the only two teams we're not. Or sorry, West Virginia and Oklahoma State are the only two mm. um, 
Big 12 teams from last year that we aren't playing. So, um, you know, it, it's a good schedule. I, I, I think it's going to be a fun schedule. Um, I, I can't wait to see, you know, how this new Big 12 looks. Uh, I'm guessing they're going to do the same format of the two best teams will play in the conference championship. I don't, I don't think they're going to split it up into divisions, um, especially with Texas and Oklahoma potentially leaving a year later. I don't think they're going to make any uh, major changes. But I, I think it's going to be a fun conference, and, you know, I'm excited to see how these – uh, new teams fare uh, in the Power Five. Yeah, you know what? I didn't even realize. I realized that we didn't play West Virginia because I wanted them, like you said. Um, I wish we played West Virginia. That's a little <laughs> bit more of a cupcake uh, game. But I did not realize that we are not playing Oklahoma State this year. That's uh, that's another hard one because I think we talked about it a couple pods ago, but Oklahoma state's turning into a bit of a dumpster fire um, (laughs) in their own right. Um, Obviously they had something like nine starters uh, transfer out of Oklahoma state this past year. And that's not entering the draft that's transferring to a different college, which is, you know, almost that that's kind of crazy without a coaching change happening. So I don't know what's going on with Mike Gundy and Oklahoma state, but I really wish we were playing them. Uh, <laughs> next year to, to figure out what they're made of. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, I, I don't, I don't really have that many complaints about this schedule. Um, I think the big 12 is going to be really good though. I'm obviously Kansas's um, biggest fan in Texas uh, fandom, but um, I think they're going to be really good with Jaden Daniels coming back and, you know, Lance Leipold, I'll never kind of take his teams for granted. Um and then Kansas State's obviously coming off a Big 12 championship. Uh, so that's going to be a tough game. TCU, we know. Um, and Iowa State, kind of like Lance Leipold, you really just can't count out Matt Campbell. Yeah. Um, even when Iowa State's down, they're really good. And, um, you know, I feel like Iowa State's kind of one of those programs that kind of has their ups and their downs. And they were so down last year that I feel like um, this next year, they're going to have a lot more development and kind of be on the up and up again. So I think that's going to be a little bit of a trap game um, in the second to last week um, of the season, and especially being a road game for Texas, where they'll almost definitely be favored. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, looking at, oh, you know, that those uh, two games right before Oklahoma, Baylor and, and Kansas, um, I, mm-hmm. I would consider those trap games as well, uh, especially, you know, if we do come off of a big win against Alabama um, and then playing Wyoming, which presumably would be a win, um, you know, to keep that keep that uh, loss column empty. You know, we have to go to Baylor, which is always a tough place to play and win. And then mm-hmm. getting Kansas early in the season, we haven't had that in a couple of years. So um, that'll be interesting. But I, I am very happy that we have a uh, bye week after Oklahoma to kind of reset yeah. and get ready for um the two new teams in the conference with Houston and, and BYU, but yeah, it, it's going to be a fun season. You know, it's, it's a favorable, favorable schedule in my opinion. So, um, you know, it, it's kind of that big 12 or bust year again, where right. we, we need to make it or, you know, not saying Steve Sarkeesian isn't the one, but you know, it'd be kind of a disappointing season if we didn't at least uh, make the big 12 championship. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And I wouldn't say, like you said, it it wouldn't be Steve Sarkeesian being a bust because at the end of the day, he still only has two full recruiting classes. So 
these um, sophomores are going to have to develop and turn into some some power players. But it's really that junior year, that third year on campus, where these guys um, start to develop and become true um, superstars in the college football world, unless they're super special, um, which we've seen um, before. But um, I'll ask you, I'll ask you this um, in the first, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six games before the bye week. Um, looking at Texas's schedule, um, what would you think the record should be? Obviously, you want them to be six and zero. That's that's not a hard question. But to compete for a Big Twelve championship, um, what do you think has to happen in those first six weeks? Yeah, I you know I, I think we would be five and one there. Honestly, um, yeah. I, Alabama they're always tough going to Tuscaloosa is a mess. You know, that stadium's massive. Their fans are loud and they're just a really good team. That's hard to beat, especially at home. So being able to win at Bryant Denny stadium is going to be really, really tough. So I, I do think we lose that game, but I I'm hoping we can keep it close. Um, but going into the bye week I, I think we're sitting five and one um, yeah. Oklahoma. We saw last year, they, they were lost without a quarterback. Um, I hopefully Dylan Gate or I think Dylan Gabriel is back, so they're they're going to be yeah, able yeah. to have his production again. But um, you know, if, if there's any development whatsoever out of Quinn Ewers where where he takes that next step, um, I, I don't think we have to worry about any of these teams on the schedule outside of Alabama. And, and that may be me being arrogant and drinking the Kool Aid, but uh, the the ways we've upgraded on the offensive side of the ball this offseason, especially in the wide receiver room, um. You know, there, there's no excuses right now for Quinn Ewers. He he has the talent out there. Um, he has the running backs behind him. Uh, if the O line can can sure up a little bit more in the pass game and in the running game, you know, we are looking at a really really good season where we may come out undefeated or with one loss. So um, after after the first six games, I, I would be very happy uh, to be six and zero. But I'm kind of expecting that five and one record there. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head there with Quinn Ewers. Um, you he needs to just take one step forward. Honestly, if he looks like he did against Washington for the first six games of of next season, I think Texas still has a really good chance of being five and one or six and zero oh because he was he was pretty good against Washington. Obviously, against Alabama, he was elite, um, and then we didn't see that again. But against Washington, he kind of got back to that form. Um, where he wasn't missing huge throws, um, easy throws, and it, it was kind of more on the receivers in that game and the offensive line. Um, so the offensive line is going to have to get better. Um, we're returning all five of our starters, plus DJ Campbell, who played a significant amount to end the season, yep. obviously in year two as well. So that's our top six offensive linemen, really. If you don't count Andre Carrick because he was kind of just that um, big uh, jumbo tight end that would – he played a, a, a decent amount of snaps. But um, I think returning those six true offensive linemen um, is going to be huge for their development with Christian Jones coming back. Um, so I agree with you. I think it has to be 5-1 and one or 6-0. and oh. So if they beat Alabama um, – you know, then it's going to look like you mentioned it, but Baylor might be a trap game or Oklahoma might be a tough game because not only are they bringing back Dylan Gabriel, but Jackson Arnold is a true, true gamer. Um, yeah. Although he's a true freshman, he is super, super talented. And there were talks of him being right there with Arch Manning and 
Nick Iamaleva. Uh, so truly, truly talented quarterback that I wouldn't be shocked to kind of see him play almost like how we saw Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams um, a few years ago, not to bring back uh, <laughs> terrible, terrible memories, but it, it's kind of that, that situation, you know? Um, so that's just something to keep an eye on. And then the back half of their, their schedule um, is easy in quotation marks because they should be favored in all of those games. But I think the tough ones are going to be, I already mentioned Ames, Iowa state game is going to be tough. Um, and then that Kansas state game is going to be really tough, but you, you kind of talked about BYU as well. So I think that back half, they have to go undefeated if they want a big 12 championship, but if not, where could you kind of see Texas, um, you know, kind of fall on their face a bit? Yeah. And I'm kind of looking at that TCU game. Um, I, I know they're losing so much production, but going to Fort Worth to play, we haven't had success against TCU uh, mm-hmm. at all over these past five, six, ten years. You know, we, we played really, really bad against them, um, and they, they've kind of got our number. Um, so going uh, to Fort Worth is, is going to be a really, really tough game that I think we might be uh, tripped up there. Uh, we have yeah. played really well against K-State as of late, considering how mm-hmm. bad we've, we've been over these past ten or so years. Um, so being able to get number, I think it'd be number six or seven in a row against Kansas state at home would be huge. Um, but yeah, BYU as well. That's a tough game being at home makes me feel a lot more comfortable. Um, and especially they're, they're halfway through a power five schedule. You know, how, how are they going to look? What's their record going to look like? Um, now that they are playing a power five schedule. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, Ames, Iowa, it's always a mess. Iowa state always gives us a tough time and, and, uh, it seems like we can't convincingly beat them. So, um, right. you know, I don't know if many people can. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> yeah, that's true. Last year. That was it. But I mean, that stretch of four games there, BYU to, to Iowa state, um, that that's yeah, a, it's that's gonna... a little bit of a tough stretch. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, like, like I said, it it all kind of depends on what Quinn Ewers can do. And, and if this O-line can show up a little bit, um, if if Quinn Ewers takes a step forward, or or like you said, he looks like he did in the Washington game, you know, I, I think we have a good chance of going undefeated. Um, if he, for some reason, takes two steps forward, uh, you know, I I feel really confident about where Heisman. he can end up. Yeah, and potentially Heisman category. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it that that back half of the schedule seems really really tough in conference play, but um, it, it's kind of interesting because we don't really know what TCU is going to be after losing all the production. Uh, we don't really know what BYU is going to be in the Power Five, and and um, Iowa State might have a bounce back year as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see where those teams are kind of at when we get to that point in the schedule, um, and and those games might be a lot tougher or a lot easier um, as we get there. Yeah. So you talk about TCU maybe being being the toughest one, uh, while also giving props to Iowa State, BYU, Kansas State, but something about TCU game. It's on 11-11. Good luck. I think think that is in Texas' favor. Um, They didn't have much good luck last year, as we saw with the Texas Tech game. Um, That might have been the most frustrating game I've ever watched of football, ever. Um, I forgot who I was listening to. Um, It might have been been 24-7 Sports uh, Cover 3 podcast. Uh, But one of them was saying that – that Texas tech win was um, statistically the luckiest win um, of 
in in college football last year, that Texas Tech over Texas game because <laughs> of how dominant they were on the money downs on third down um, yeah. and on fourth down after that. Texas just could not buy a stop, uh, which was, again, the most frustrating thing I think I've ever witnessed um, in a full-length uh, football game. Yeah, that that's so, so frustrating. And it, and it wasn't, you know, third and short. Um, you know, there was, a, there was several third and seven yeah. plus, third and eight plus, mm-hmm. um, several fourth and twos that they got. It, it was infuriating, <laughs> to say the least. Right. And, you know, it, it, it just seemed like we couldn't get going on offense. Obviously, we had Hudson Carr playing quarterback there um, mm-hmm. with, with Queen Ewers still hurt. But uh, we had a chance to win that game several times, and we just could not take advantage of it, shooting ourselves in the foot with penalties and stuff. Um, but, yeah. Fumbled uh, to lose the game, right? Yeah, yeah. Bijan in overtime yeah. fumbling the ball, which he never does. That might have been one of his only fumbles all year. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it was really frustrating. But we get them at the end of the season. Um, hopefully we have a little bit more to play for, uh, this year than we did this past year. Um, and maybe we can, uh, finish the season out with a win and, and head in, head into Arlington, uh, to play the other top big 12 team. Yeah. And honestly, I, if, if you were to guess, who do you think, um, granted Texas makes Ooh. it to the big 12 team, <laughs> who do you think would be there with them? Cause I, I, I have my team. I, I really like K State. I really they haven't really lost that much, um, yeah. especially offensively, yeah. uh, unless you mm-hmm. count Adrian Martinez and he kind of lost the starting job there. So, uh, yeah. well, you have Deuce Vaughn as well. Um, but I, I really, really like K State. Um, they they just play a brand of football that's hard to beat. Um, yeah. They they don't get blown out much. They're always in games till the end. Um, so I, I kind of like K State to be there again to try to defend their their Big Twelve championship. Yeah, I just think it's going to be Oklahoma. I think uh, – I don't know. I just think Brett Venables is a really good coach. I think this Oklahoma defense was just so bad with the Lincoln-Riley era. Um, Venables kind of um, – I feel like this offseason he might kind of straighten them out, and it's going to be a lot different brand of Oklahoma football that we're not used to seeing. Um, and then, you know, retaining Jeff Levy – presumably Alabama still has an offensive coordinator position um, open. So Jeff Levy could be gone. um, And then that'll kind of change the math for me a little bit. But as of right now, I I think Jeff Levy is still a really good offensive coordinator. Um, So I think Dylan Gabriel, Jackson Arnold, one of those guys is, is, is going to be a huge playmaker for Oklahoma in the uh, 2023 season. I, I just think they're going to out talent a lot of teams. And I think Brett Venables is a good enough coach to where, um, you know, teams aren't going to out scheme them. Yeah. Um, and Oklahoma is yeah. just going to win with talent, which is something that I believe uh, Texas and Sark and Pete Kwiatkowski are also um, going to start doing in 2023, which, um, you know, only a few bad breaks during the 2022 season um, for Texas. So, yeah, I, I could see that as well. Um, but I, I kind of think they're going to have a, a season like Texas did last year where they had a really, really bad first yeah. year, had some unfortunate events, you know, with injuries and stuff. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I could see them going kind of like eight and four again. And, and that might be good enough to get into the Big 12 championship because um, – It's a blood – it could be a blood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the yeah. Big 12 is, is a very solid conference. It's not too mm-hmm. top-heavy. It's not bottom – heavy it's just really solid across the board and and we beat each other up week in and week out 
Um, right. So hopefully Texas can take that next step and kind of be the um, top heavy team and, and kind of run through it, and not have to worry about um, beating themselves up against, against really good teams. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think Kansas state has a chance to beat them. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I don't really see, I haven't looked at Kansas state schedule, but um, I, I'd imagine they, they have a pretty favorable path as well back to the big 12 championship. And, and um, they're, they're always good. They're always competing. And, and I really, really like, um, uh, of course, I forget his name, but their head coach, I really like what he's doing there. Chris Kleiman. Yeah. Yes, Chris Kleiman. Um, yeah. he, he's a really, really good coach, and I really like what he's doing. So I wouldn't be surprised one bit if um, Kansas State or Oklahoma <laughs> make it to the Big 12 championship. But I, I think Kansas State's just going to edge Oklahoma out just barely uh, to get back there two years in a row. Yeah, and um, you mentioned Kansas State's uh... – schedule um they their road games are missouri oklahoma state texas tech texas and kansas so they also don't have a really tough path they play ucf and houston but they're both at home um so i i i don't totally hate the kansas state pick either because like you said they're not really losing a whole lot um of talent they're losing um, a few defensive backs, I know. Obviously, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, um, debatable. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, um, but, you know, on offense, they're really only losing Deuce Vaughn um, and then Cooper Beebe, their offensive lineman. So, but Chris Kleiman is such a good head coach that um, I just feel like that, you know, you can kind of replace those guys if if not totally replace them, because it's tough to replace a Deuce Vaughn level player yeah, yeah. Um, in the aggregate, you know, um, everybody stays, gets better while the person replacing him is also pretty good. So maybe you're not totally replacing that production, but um, in the aggregate, you're kind of replacing um, as a whole and, and that team continues yeah. to be good. So I think those are really, I, I don't have betting odds, uh, at the top of my head here, but I would assume those are kind of the top three favorites. So I think we kind of hit the nail on the head uh, there. Oh, uh, well, I have a question for you. Um, of mm-hmm. the four new teams, who do you think is most likely to make it to the Big 12 championship uh, this upcoming Ooh. season? I think it's got to be BYU because yep. <laughs> they have uh, a lot more experience facing Power 5 competition. Um, UCF, Cincinnati, and um, – I'm losing it. Houston, um, all coming from group of five, whereas BYU was coming from the independence. So they played a lot more power five competition, uh, throughout the year. Um, obviously they p- played Baylor last year. Um, I don't have their schedule in front of me, but I know they played an sec team. I want to say Florida, uh, as well, but maybe I'm getting them in Utah confused. They played Utah though. Uh, yeah too, so <clears throat> yeah uh, I, but yeah is that your answer as well yeah I, I would like BYU as well I I just feel like they had a really good team last year um, and you know coming into a a uh, power five conference they they might be the surprise team that kind of sneaks up and and uh, takes over early on um, especially mm-hmm. with the way they looked last year but um, I I feel like those other three teams Houston uh, UCF and, and Cincinnati might get beat up quite a bit. I, I, I feel mm-hmm. like they're not going to be used to the level of competition right away. Um, so their first few weeks of, uh, of conference play might, might get pretty rough for those, for those three. But uh, yeah, I feel really good with BYU. And I, I honestly think they might compete for it in year one um, just because of what, what they did last year. 
Yeah, and you know what? They played Arkansas last year, and they got absolutely boat raced. <laughs> so uh, that that was a that was a miss by me. I thought they played somebody in the SEC well. They got boat raced by Arkansas and Oregon, two really great uh, yeah. teams. Especially the way Arkansas plays, they're super physical in the SEC. But they continually play Notre Dame and Utah. Um, so, like I said, they're they're used to Power Five competition a little bit more than those other schools. Um, something about UCF though, having Gus Mills on as the head coach, I think yep. it really does help them. SEC experience, obviously, he won a national championship um, with Auburn, so I think that'll help them. I think the one behind the eight ball the most is Cincinnati because yep. losing Luke Fickle, um, also coming from a G five, um, I just think that's going to be a tough transition. They got Scott Satterfield in there, but I think. Uh, the people of Louisville were happy to see Scott Satterfield leave <laughs> um, and get replaced by Jeff Brom at Louisville. So I feel like Cincinnati is going to kind of be the punching bag of the Big 12 for a few years. Um, and then Houston, who we didn't mention, Dana Holgerson being there, you know, he was obviously with West Virginia. So he knows the Big 12 a little bit, but, and, you know, Houston's going to recruit really yes. really well yes. being in a power yeah. five obviously being in that houston area they're going to start recruiting really really well um so that is kind of bad for texas and i think that's why the big 12 kind of kept houston and smu is still out but those are two hot spots for um for for power five schools to kind of snatch all the great players um but now with houston being in the power five I think some kids will kind of want to stay in Houston, um, you know. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, Houston, like you said, there's so much talent there. Um, and, and kind of the only thing keeping kids from going there was was the level of play. Um, right. playing, playing in a Power 5, you get a lot more TV exposure. Um, you know, bigger schools will want to come play. And, you know, like, like you've seen Texas and Alabama, that's a big time game that gets big time ratings. Um, yeah. So if Houston's able to get somebody um, of that caliber uh, to come play a home and home series, that, that would be absolutely huge for them. Um, but one last thing that, that I would like to say about uh, this schedule in this year is um, I, I think it would be absolutely hilarious if Texas and Oklahoma do end up in the big 12 championship game oh, in their last be, season yes. in the big that's, 12. That's a great point. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be fun just to yeah. stick it to the big 12 one last time. Uh, so yeah, I, I might change my pick from K-State to Oklahoma just to just to yeah, see, just see to if I can will make it. it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Will it to exist. I love it. Um, no, that's a great – I didn't even think about that when I was doing it. But, yeah, this is probably both of their last years in the Big 12. I'm sure in 2024 um, they'll kind of have it sorted out, um, pay whatever they need to pay, some sort of buyout for the Big 12. Because if I understand it right, if Oklahoma – in Texas wait until 2025 they leave for free because the contract yeah. is over so the big 12 probably wants to make some money um you know so this is going to be kind of their last their last effort to uh to get money from Texas and Oklahoma until their buyout in 2024 but that remains to be seen but yes it would be so awesome um <laughs> if they were playing and won one more big 12 champ especially texas because uh they haven't won one in a little bit now so yeah yeah we we, we kind of want to go out on top that would be um you know chef's kiss <laughs> for their big 12 tenure and uh start of sec play so 
Um, all right. Is there anything else you wanted to go over Texas related, recruiting related, um, schedule related before we get out of here? I don't think so. No. All right. Um, so that will do it for this week's episode. If you enjoy the podcast, learn something, or just want to support us at Texas Talk, please rate five stars wherever you're listening. But more importantly, tell your friends and family about us. It's the uh, best way to grow this brand. Um, we will be back next Wednesday, most likely. Hopefully, we'll have some Warren Roberson news by then. Um, and then if you're in Texas and you're dealing with this ice storm, hopefully you all stay safe um, and kind of you know, get through it. Obviously I'm in Chicago. Um, Michael's in Kansas. So we're not really dealing with it. I I can't (laughs) even imagine how you're dealing with it because in Chicago, uh, you know, it's completely different. We're built for it. Um, whereas Texas, you're not so built for it. So, uh, (laughs) you know, sending all the positive vibes, um, and hoping, hoping everybody stays safe out there. So, um, thank you guys all for listening. Uh, as always, Hook 'em. Hook 'em.